So welcome back, everybody, to Comic School. Um, and this is just ridiculous because the I'm just going to introduce this person who doesn't need any introduction, but I just like to I like to read this. So so we're going to read this. John Jennings is a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of California, Riverside, the co-editor of the Eisner Award winning collection, The Black of the Ink, Constructions of Black Identity in Comics and Sequential Art. Jennings is also a 2016 Nasir Jones Hip Hop Studies Fellow with the Hutchins Center at Harvard University. His current project includes the just recently funded horror anthology Box of Bones, um, uh, Black Comics Returns with Damian Duffy, and Eisner Award winning, Bram Stoker Award winning, New York Times selling best, uh, best selling graphic novel adaptation of Octavia Butler's classic dark fantasy novel Kindred and is the founding uh the founder and curator of Abrams Megascope line which we'll talk about um John Jennings thank you for for coming to hang out today man I appreciate it no thank you man thank you for having it's, me like I said no one's talking to me about comics in particular so it's like it's, <laughs> it's, oh, it's good to, oh, to talk any, about things so. oh my <laughs> so. gosh Anytime, anytime at all. Um, things of things of a comics nature. So. Man, uh, I want to ask you all the things, but we're gonna have to do one at a time. Um, of course, so. I'll, be, I'll be. I'll try to be as quick as possible. So no. We can no, we got, we got, we got. The nice thing is, we got all. If we had all the world and time, so. Um, so we've been starting these conversations um, with, uh, as as all good comics do, with the origin story. So. Mm -hmm. For folks who who may not be familiar with with your journey, um, what's your origin story? How'd you get into comics? How did that become uh, your life's I mean, love and work? Right? Yeah, I know it's weird to say that, but yeah, I was talking to Stacy Robinson, who's a good friend with both of us, and you know, it's strange to actually like have every almost every aspect of what I do as a teacher and a editor and creator is deals with comics so like speculative fiction in some way you know right so uh just to your question my, my, my mother was she's the uh, the one that kind of got me started on speculative fiction in general like so i'm from mississippi originally i grew up in like post-civil rights era you know struggle mississippi of 1970 so i came up uh in the sticks i came up in a very rural space and my mom was a she had um majored in english at Alcorn State University. So um, she, how do I say this? So I grew up like reading a lot of like science fiction and fantasy super early, you know, and then also she got me my first comics. You know, I lived in a library, you know, and my, my grandmother was, she had these, what I thought were like superstitions that she uh -huh. would talk about. But in retrospect, now I realize that she, they were probably, she was probably a conjure woman of some kind. I'm not thinking about it because right. she would make these post poultices and she had these remedies made from like weeds and stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So I'm thinking like, hmm, she probably was a hoodlist. And <laughs> well, because thing is too, no, yeah, because yeah, because uh, I was thinking, you no, know, now in retrospect, that she was really into. Um, she was very she was very devout Christian actually. Like we were mm -hmm. always listening to church on the radio on Sundays, right. and stuff, but she never went to church. And okay. I wonder if it was because you know, maybe she got pushed out because of this conjure stuff she right. was doing. I have no idea. I just made up these really weird stories. Anyway, <laughs> so my um my um my mother was a huge advocate for reading of all kinds. And so right. um so I would start reading like Thor, 
Daredevils, you know, Superman. Ain't Casper the Friendly Ghost. Anything that looked like a comic book, I was reading it, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so that's actually where I started. And so then I was a huge fan of Popeye. I just recently talked about this too in an interview. Because, you know, it's funny, like, how you start going back and you, like, kind of uncover the things that got you started. So I was a massive right. Popeye fan, right? right? And because of that, I love spinach. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, like I was a big I get you. Know. you. So, yeah, so I started making my own Popeye comic books when I was in first grade. And um, yep. they're terrible, of course. But, um, and then the other thing is I started making my own comics based off of comic book characters that I really liked. So, yep. I, had a, <laughs> so I had a character called Panther. It was obviously like Black Panther and, and Iron Man fused together. <laughs> right, right. A character called um, called Spider. <laughs> yep. No man, I was I was just cleaning out my office and I found my uh, my steno pad full yeah. of mashups. I put Wolverine and Spider Man together because like, oh, what if Wolverine and Spider Man were together? And that it's called be- like the Wolf Spider or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, and then by the time I got to like doing my analog characters, um, yeah. I was a big Hulk fan, so I had this character called Amok. Mm-hmm. You know. That was just like so. When I started understanding how words function, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna call him Ella because he just loses his." Anyway, so that's uh-huh. kind of like how I started with comics, and then as far as like the scholarship aspect, I mean, I really kind of fell into that accidentally because um, you know I gave up on comics. Honestly, mm. I didn't see. I think once I got out of undergrad and went into grad school, you know, um, I didn't. I didn't think that I was drawing comics right. You know what I'm saying? Huh. I think that. You know, I had this idea that there was a particular style and I just wasn't, I was being influenced by all this other stuff, you know? So my, st- you know, even now, like I have a quirky, I have a strange style. It's an, it's an amalgam of a lot of different things. And so, um, which serves you well now, but you know, at the time, you know, I don't draw like, I wouldn't draw like John Buscema or anybody. Right. Well, I mean, because we came yeah. up during the, uh, I still got it on my bookshelf, how to draw Mar- uh, how to draw yeah. the Marvel way, right? Exactly. It was very, I mean, it was yeah. good. It gives you some some basics, but but a lot of but folks- it's a style, they're teaching you a style. And that's style. why actually, that's why it works so well because it's right. a style guide. Right, know, but, a, it, but it wasn't a, okay, so here's how, here's how you, it's the Marvel mm-hmm. style, but it's not, um, re, you know, restrictive, but like, I know what John Jennings piece when I see it. It tells you, it teaches you about the comics um, from their perspective, but not about right. comic medium. Right. Right. And so the thing is, is what happens is uh, when I get to grad school, you know, I'm working on my, my MFA and graphic design mm-hmm. and I'm really interested in like essentially semiotics. I've been kind of really interested right. in semiotic studies and stuff, but they stopped me from doing it. It was, you know, they, said, they were like, well, that sounds like a sociology project, you know? And I was like, yeah, it kind of is. And they're like, but, what, but you like comics. What about comics? And I was like, well, what about them? And, was, and then they introduced me, like my, my, um, my mentor, Rob Springfield, gave me a copy of uh, making, of, excuse me, of uh, Understanding Comics by right. Scott McCloud and blew my mind. I was like, what? Right, right. Because <laughs> so, yeah. so I was going to say, that surprises me because that, the, the whole intro to that piece is uh, essentially semiotics. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't call it that, but yeah. Right. Know. But, right. but yeah, I think what it was is because I wanted to do something around cultural symbols. I was mm-hmm. really, I had kind of come into my own as like interested in like how symbols work. And it's still a lot of my work is in that, you right. know, right. culturally specific, you know, visual culture studies. Right. And, um, you know, that uh, they 
they basically all of them knew that I would love comics. So I was like, yo, you need to do something on comics. And so I was right. I was at University of Illinois in ninety three. No, was it ninety three? I graduated from under from a grad school in ninety five. I think okay. that's right. Yeah. So around the same time that a book comes out, it just changes everything. You right. Know? And um and that's how I realized like, wait a minute, I actually there's a part of it, there's something I could do with this. And so Lo and behold, you know, uh, once I come back to U of I as faculty, actually I got added, I became faculty at U of I in 2001, I think, um, I started researching um, comics and distribution, right? So I became really interested in, yeah, I became really specifically about like how, how are comics being bought and sold now, you know? Right. And I wanted to do like digital comics on like CDs and having have them sold. Because that's when, that's when Marvel did that thing. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, all those comics on the CDs and stuff. I, I remember it well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then that was around, the, that was the beginning of the printing on demand craze, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the first professors to really, really lean into using Lulu and other printing on demand services for like making projects and stuff. Right. So <clears throat> it kind of changed the way we looked at like printing and stuff. So, so yeah, and I became interested in comics again because now I could actually make a comic on my own. And put it out myself. I had because I'm, I'm a grab, I'm a book designer too. Right. My background's in design, so I actually right. publication design in particular. And I've, and I've been to publishing since I was in grad school. I used to put it. I used to put out a monthly paper, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, with the with with two partners. That was like a free Afrocentric newspaper called Black Thought. That was named after Black Thought. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? That's so Lewis. good. <laughs> yeah, which ironically, my wife wrote a piece for, but I yes. didn't know. Yeah, well, I didn't for real. You know, school yeah so she but we didn't know each other so she wrote for the paper i was published isn't that crazy anyway life was, life has uh, a way life has know, a way it's insane so yeah so that's kind of like my my journey and then um what ends up happening is i meet damian duffy at u of i and we start making comics together and then we both realize like you know what maybe we can't make comics like this that get published by bigger publishers but we could do stuff on our own and that's when we started making gallery comics and doing really experimental stuff and then we started experimenting with pedagogy and then of course the whole the whole got picked up and we're like excuse me (laughs) that's a h h o l e for those of you homophones are tricky but uh the the check out the whole we'll talk about that we'll talk about horror comics here to say but but the whole got picked up the whole got picked up uh we were like ecstatic but also totally confused because it's a bug nuts crazy book you know and um yeah and from there we started doing curatorial work and then the big breakout was of course uh you know the kendry graphic novel because we had been working we had been working together for like over a decade or so Mm -hmm. you know so yeah and that's kind of like how we ended up now and then because of the success of the kendry book I actually was able to pitch a entire graphic novel line to to abrams you know and so, and that's yeah. called that's called Megascope. Megascope. And why'd you pick Megascope? Well, Megascope actually um, it's a it's an artifact. It's a it's a it's a mystical like sci-fi invention that's mm-hmm. actually in a um, a short story called The Princess Steel, which mm-hmm. was written in 1909 by W. E. B. Du Bois, right? Yep. And if this so, Britt Russert and um, I think it was uh, Adrian Brown over at University of Chicago. They were going through his papers and mm-hmm. they came across this previously like undiscovered sci-fi story. Yep. It essentially is a critique of the American steel industry 
via a fantasy like allegory. That's right. Because <laughs> people set, had read the comet, but yes. this was this was a yeah, completely new Christ joint. The other one is Jesus Christ in Texas, which is right. his other one. There's three of them. And so um so yeah, and so she he uses the megascope as a framing mechanism to set up the story. So it's like classic sci-fi setup. Like he so so I was like, whoa. So the, he gives us so much in that one short story that I, right. you know, we could talk about. We could actually do a whole like two hours just about the setup that he gave us. Yep. So the megascope to me is a discursive object that was given to us by one of the greatest thinkers to ever live. So my whole thing is like, I want to create a situation where the megascope becomes as ubiquitous as a Necronomicon. Boom. Yeah. So anyway, that's why I thought it was a perfect name for a 12 book line. So. Right. And I don't want to get into the weeds, but it just, I love it because it is actually doing the thing, right? It's, it's that it was, pre- <laughs> so it was pretend, but now it's real and it's actually it's functioning real. in the way, yes. right? It's that discursive element, but it's, it's a realized object. Yes. Um, which it's is, a di- is what they call a diegetic prototype. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've become obsessed with like black literature and diegetic prototypes i've been finding them and actually connecting them you know so yeah that's what we did with the unveiling vision show actually and um at the schomburg which was a an event that me and dr ronaldo anderson put together so it was all based on like literary devices that were in black literature and speculative fiction that were basically created to have a conversation about racism and oppression and so i was thinking like the megascope as an epistemology or as a lens through which you could curate you know, so it gives us the possibilities of seeing these things through different eyes, so to speak. And they just totally loved it. So, yeah. Because it's, because it's dope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, not sorry. Um, so let me, I'll just ask you the, the million dollar question and we'll, uh, we'll just take it how it goes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're in a time, we're, we're in challenging times, right? And, and every time, every era is challenging, right? Sure. Um, but we're in a, a particular yeah. moment, right, of challenge. Yes, and, challenge. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and it's great because we have time to talk, but also it has its own kind of things. So all this stuff happening, why, why are we talking about comics, right? Why do, why do, these, why do these artifacts uh, matter in, in, in these times, right? Because it feels like, because I've run into this, the, oh, well, comics are a, a gateway to real literature or, right, right? You know, like yes. there's, there's second, I was told that, it, I was told recently that they, they were, um, you know, su- that's subpar scholarship um, mm-hmm. to my, somebody said that on purpose to my face. Wow. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm wondering what your take is on, on the, the significance of comics in, in these challenging times. Well, you know, first of all, I think as a medium, they are extremely hybridized. You know, so we, we, when we talk about literacy, generally we're talking about written and reading and writing, essentially, right. we're literacy. But what are we reading? You know, that kind of thing, right? Another thing is like there are various types of literacies. So what they call multimodal literacies, right? So we're talking about, you know, history. We're talking about technology. We're talking about images. We're talking about you know, there's a certain type of like musical literacy, you know, that kind of thing. All these things actually are different types of literacies that really were not even being thought about when they were coming up with like reading, writing, arithmetic, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and of course, you know, there's a such, certain kind of like 
elitist idea about what is literate and what isn't and what is classic and what isn't you know that kind of thing so in our country also we have the stigma attached to meet to comics because of you know the um the senate subcommittee hearings that were jumping off in the wake of right. you know the seduction of the innocent thing that right. frederick worked worth them came up with too so the so people are assuming that because they're illustrated and they're put together this way that they're juvenile right and right. that and that stigma has stuck with the medium since then but if you do your digging, you realize that comics are really great for talking about a particular type of literacy that we're exposed to every day. When I talk to my students about this, I say, yeah, you look at like CNN, right? And of course, we're probably glued to the set these days. Um, right. Yeah, I got Don Lemon and Cuomo on every day. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> all, day. It, every all day. day. <laughs> every day. All day. See, it was your chest. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so when you look at the screen, um, you see Cuomo talking to you, you know, you see uh, whatever issue that you're talking that he's talking about in a smaller box, right? To his probably usually to his left shoulder. You have the ticker tape under the bottom telling you about whatever all the other stories that are happening. You got the time. You also have the CNN logo. You know what I'm saying? These are happening simultaneously, simultaneously. right? And that's what comics does too. Like so, it teaches you how to. It gives you some critical thinking skills around like how you read visual cues, symbolism, but also how you can actually like read different different context cues um, together or separately, you know, so because you can read the text by itself, you can read the image by itself. And it talks a lot about symbolic communication and we and that's a basis of like how we communicate. I mean, letters are right. symbols or sounds, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, so it's 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 a different type of literacy altogether that's a mashup, if you will. Or different types of like storytelling and um the people who, who don't understand that are just being really short-sighted on purpose you know anyway it is they're just hating because you have more fun than they are <laughs> I, well and, and i think that's interesting because um you know you, you said on purpose and i think that's interesting because mm -hmm. we have we have this uh evo well, i don't want to say evolution right but but this thing it well, Shakespeare used to be of the people, right? For the right. people. Mm -hmm. um, and it was seen as the, you know, sort of it this low. Yeah, it was low. Right, it's it for commoners. It was low, yeah. low culture, right? Until it became high culture. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, there's, there's this, this progression that, that I think happens when, um, you know, and we could get into the sociology of it, right? Like, it happens all the time, like lobster, like just follow me for a second, right? Like yeah. lobster used to be the throwaway, the leftovers yeah. after, yeah. right? That the, that the commoner ate and, 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 and then it became, once it was like, oh, this, this is actually, this is actually pretty dope. It gets subsumed, mm -hmm. right? That's right. Um, and I think that there's, you know, when, when we look at, oh, well, real like literate, literate comics, it's all mm -hmm. gotta be, and I don't know, I'm not going to besmirch anybody, but like Watchmen makes a, a, the top hundred literary, not like it's all got to be this, this high concept sort of mm -hmm. amazing, mm -hmm. like almost, uh, uh, I don't want to say inaccessible, but it's got to, it's got to operate in particular ways that, that, that signify to people that, uh, uh that make those power that, that are in those positions of power, right? Those gatekeepers that say, okay, right. I can right. recognize, I can recognize this as real literature. 
Yeah. Whereas, you know, Swamp Thing, like, well, he's what? He's a, <laughs> right? It's both Alan Moore, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Swamp so Thing I think, is just literate in some ways, though. You know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah, a, it's, yeah he, he, so it's interesting about Alan Moore is that he always, it seems like he made his whole career over, like, um, creating, like, legacy characters. Right. Or characters that have already been ex- established, you know, for right. the most part. You know, right. he was working with the Pulp. You know, he's working with that very well with those characters too. You know? right. it's, yeah. So that's an interesting comment about him. You know. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm no, sorry. Go no. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. No, I was thinking about what you're saying because it's like, yeah, that to me is that argument about different types of literatures, literacies, yeah. and the comments aren't for studying is just right. such an old, tired argument. It really is. When, when there's so much scholarship and really good scholarship. And that's, um, why, I, that's why I think it's interesting that you said intentional. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Because there is a whole wealth of I'm of talking like now, I mean, there's some really good scholarship on just, you know, content, on context, on cultural stuff. You can come at it from any, any given space. You know, right. it's similar to what happened with hip hop. Like hip hop, right. oh, that's... The, the brown kids are doing that and they're spitting on their heads. Who cares? Right? And now right. it's like, yo, hip hop is a force. It's an, it's an international force. And mm-hmm. you can't really mm-hmm. deny the fact that it's one of the most important, probably the last great art form to be, to be generated by, out of America, honestly, mm-hmm. changed the game, you know? So, Absolutely. yeah. So comics, the superhero in particular, you know, because of just how it plays into ideas around nationalism and jingoism and, you know, whatever, right? Um, but it's also aspirational and it's a power fantasy. And, you know, so it, it, it's problematic as hell, but it's also amazing. <laughs> you know, so, right, right. You know. and, well, and let's pick, up, let's pick up on that, right? This notion of what, what those, those, larger ima- those, those larger images, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> but those larger, um, those, those issues, right, of nationalism, of race, gender, class, belonging. Um, yeah. Comics, yeah. we've talked about this, comics are an inherently political medium. Yes, right. that's the other thing too I want to say is that, um, thank you for, for leading me back to that, is um, comics, because they're so, um, anybody can make them. Like for instance, you don't necessarily, you don't have to draw like, you know, John Byrne or like, you know, um, Jim Lee or somebody to put out a comic. You can actually right. like, if you have a story idea and you have a pen and pen, you know, paper and you have a copier, a copy shop near you, guess right. what? You can publish a comic book. That's right. You know, and it's very direct. It's a it's very symbolic. People understand the language, even even though they pretend like they don't. But it's like it has a particular way of speaking, the immediacy of it and the rawness of it. You know, it's very it's, it is inherently political because it speaks in symbols, right? right? So you look at like even before the Second World War, you know, Captain America punching Hitler in the face, right? That's, wow. Even before yeah. we went to, I mean, it's cla- it's like right. a lot of trouble. Or, su- or Superman like ending the war by like going and getting Mussolini and Hitler and taking them to the United Nations. Yep. You know, that that thing that they did, you know, that pissed them off. So yeah, it has this political aspect to it that I think is very potent. The other thing you talked about belonging, right? Because there's if you look at the creators of those comics, they're mostly like, you know, Jewish immigrants or like the sons and daughters of Jewish immigrants, right? right? And there's a sense of like um the American dream, you know, happening there. If you look at like Superman, uh, he's a, he's an ultimate immigrant. You know, right. he's, he comes from a space that's been totally decimated. His powers come from his new home, which mm-hmm. is a hopeful 
outlook. He becomes empowered by the new nation that he's become part of. He changes his name from the kind of arguably sounding, you know, Kal-El, Hebraic sounding Kal-El to um, Clark Kent, this more waspy American name. He grows very much so, right? Part of America, you know what I'm saying? So he's an American. Yeah, exactly. So so what happens when, when other immigrants come over and they want that same dream? You know, so you get like your Kamala Khans, right? You get your Miles Moraleses, right? You get your like um, Cecilia Reyes and characters like that where, where they'll, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, so, good. so good. Because, so what it's saying to me, and this is something I've been talking, I've been thinking about really recently is, um, first of all, I hate, I hate the way that the, that the term SJW has been flipped and turned into yeah. like an awful thing. And I was like, Wow, you know, some people use it. And I see like brothers using it too. Like, oh, it's just the SJW thing. I was like, so when did becoming a social justice yeah. warrior become a bad thing? How is that a pejorative, how right? Is that, how is that bad? Yeah, I don't get it. So, you know, it's just stupid, like alt right. <laughs> you know, it really is. I'm like, no, I mean, Superman was, he was like busting up, like, you know, he was busting, he was, you know, fighting against gangsters. He was saving women from getting beaten by their spouses, that kind right. of stuff, right? Right. Uh, Anyway, so the other thing is um, the, the, the idea of like the race bending and gender bending that happens right. with characters. It's like, well, why is that a big deal? Because they're essentially what you're saying is that legacy characters can only be, you know, straight white men from a particular faith or class structure, you right. know? So, yeah. So I'm like, well, when you see a, a character like, say, the new Mr. Terrific, who's one of my favorite characters, right? He's Great just a character. legacy character. He's yep. just a legacy character that's part of the superhero genre, and he just happens to be a brother. Mm-hmm. He's not having to be black. That's it. Well, the same thing with the Crimson, the Crimson Avenger, actually. Right. Take a character that was essentially like a knockoff of the Shadow, one of DC's earliest superhero character, mass characters. Right. And they breathe life into him by making him into a, by making a legacy character a black woman who's directly connected to the character. It, those characters are the ones that actually made me change how I was looking at legacy characters actually so yeah anyway sorry I went no, no 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 that's that's uh, i think that that makes me loop back to this notion of um why you know we talk about why they matter and i remember and now I'm, we're getting older and older but i remember right. when miles morales miles morales popped off right mm-hmm. um and I, and uh, that was in the the ultimate universe and uh, right but but that was one of the first times and i'm sure it had happened before but that was one of the first times that i remember people getting up in arms like right. yeah and, and we know who we know we know right? right but they were like that's not that's not really that's not really spider-man it's like Man, spider-man's pretend first of all first of all <laughs> for, for a couple things but yeah, spider-man yeah. actually isn't anything right, right. just from a, semi- <laughs> from a semiotic argument but right. <laughs> but from a from you know but i have invested I, I, part of my identity tied into being the protagonist, right? Being the, the good guy, being, you know, and, and Peter, Peter is interesting because he's a different, he's not a millionaire, but that's, uh, that's a different discussion. But they were like, hey, no, my, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. This Miles Morales kid, whoever he is, is not the real Spider-Man because right. the real Spider-Man, in their mind, they had connected to themselves, right? Um. Now, uh, he just the Spider Verse just won an Oscar, so time will yeah. <laughs> time will time will tell. Man, so um, people, yeah, who just man? <laughs> I, right. I, had, I had this kid in my class, in my Afrofuturism class, who said uh-huh. basically like when 
like his friends didn't know who Miles Morales was. And I was like, oh, that's a fake Spider-Man, blah, 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 right? And that was right. the most important. His dude is Afro-Latino, right? Right. And so he's like, no, this is my Spider-Man. This, is the, this represents me, you know? Yeah. And now that Into the Spider-Verse has come out and become such a huge hit, and you know, um, it's changed the game for him. It's like, yeah, see, I told you, this is like, this is the real deal. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> like, well, yeah. okay, so two things. One, and who was it? Was it, um, was it Jerry? No, it wasn't Jerry. So who who wrote that piece in the New York Times about to, the letter to Dear? Oh, uh, that was Vic. Vic. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that was great. I read it. That was dope. Yeah, in my classes. You know? Right? Um, right. And we read, we read it and we read it in our class too because um, that letter that letter to Spider-Man, um, the letters to Miles Morales really hit home. And mm-hmm. um, I have a, and I've told this story before, um, but I got a six-year-old and a, right. I said, hey, who's your, you know, we, we bring him up the right way. I said, hey, who's your favorite superhero? And he right. goes, oh, Spider-Man. I was like, oh, bet. And he goes, yeah, Miles Morales is dope. And yes, I was like, are you kidding? Whoa! And that was this generational thing, right? But it's so beautiful yes. because of he is, uh, he has his own relationship with this character in a particularly new way. Um, and, and, and it's a generational thing, but it's also this sense of, uh, as you say with your with your student too it's the sense of this is my spider-man so it's 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 doing a lot of this um identity work it continues to do the, the media continues to do this identity work that is that is profound right